0: She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. She's serving me alimony papers and a restraining order? I guess she loves me not. Hey there, and welcome to Post Credits with Gil Garcia, where we are going beyond the final scene with our favorite Valentine's Day movies. This is a special installment of a series of episodes I call Guilty Pleasures. Guilty Pleasures is a mini-series of episodes where I will watch a movie that I really enjoyed when I was younger, but ended up being critically panned. The purpose of these shows is to show if they hold up or if I'm blinded by nostalgia. And on today's docket, we are reviewing two popular romantic comedy films from the 2000s, First, we have The Proposal, starring Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Then, we'll cover Just Married, featuring Ashton Kutcher and Brittany Murphy. The format of the show is simple. We're covering each movie for approximately 15 to 20 minutes each, going over my connections to the movie, the things I enjoyed upon my rewatch, the things that surprised me, spoiler points and plot, and then I'll also look at some factoids and opinions If you're listening to this episode on Tuesday, February 12th, I'd like to invite you to check out the show's first ever video on my YouTube channel. It is my five favorite Valentine's Day films for lonely hearts, a collection of films for single people of all genders to enjoy this holiday. I myself am a lonely heart, and it's not all that bad. Just think of all the money that we're saving, right guys? (laughs) Just kidding. But seriously, I had a lot of fun compiling these movies, and I think you'll all enjoy them. Please subscribe to the channel and see it for yourself. The link will be in the description of this podcast and on my social media pages. So, without further ado, let's get into our first film of the night, The Proposal. Does this romantic comedy starring two of the sexiest people on the planet hold up its end of the bargain? Or should it be deported back to Canada? Let's get to the movie and find out. In the proposal, a pushy boss forces her young assistant to marry her in order to keep her visa status in the United States and avoid deportation to Canada. The proposal is directed by Anne Fletcher, who is known for directing Hot Pursuit, 27 Dresses, and Hocus Pocus 2. It's written by Peter Chiarelli, known for Crazy Rich Asians, and Now You See Me 2. The film stars Sandra Bullock as Margaret Tate, Ryan Reynolds as Andrew Paxton, Betty White as Grandma Annie, Mary Steenbergen as Grace Paxton, and Craig T. Nelson as Joe. A sentimental favorite of my household, The Proposal is a rom-com that bridged the sentiment of family, career, and personal differences. Growing up in a household of mostly women, this movie along with Just Married, The Notebook, First Wives Club, Grease, and Armageddon were surprisingly common staples throughout the year. And unlike Hocus Pocus and some of the other movies I mentioned on the show in the past, These movies were not tied down to just being a seasonal holiday thing. These were movies that we watched all year round, which meant that I'd hear my sisters quote them or throw them on casually when there was nothing else to watch. I imagine I got as sick of these movies as they got of me turning on the television to ESPN or the NFL Network. But you know what? I actually liked a couple of them, and this was one of them that I really enjoyed. But what stood out to me about this movie was that helicopter scene with Betty White. I really recall it being kind of like a tearjerker moment for my sisters. And I could admit it now, the first time I watched it, I got choked up a little bit myself. And can you blame me? Betty White is a fucking legend. I used to love watching her in Golden Girls. She's a comedic icon and a trailblazer for female comedy. And to me, she really stood out in this film when I first watched it. But the more my family watched this movie, the more it sat with me as being extra cheesy, but that never really prevented me from enjoying it. I still liked it regardless. Now, my biggest challenge going into revisiting this film today was going to be that cheese factor. A big put-off for me for a lot of romantic comedies nowadays is the fact that they could come off particularly cheesy and formulaic. So let's now get into it. I'm going to go through some bullet point plot details and general impressions, We'll discuss what I enjoyed about the movie first, before diving into the aspects that took me by surprise afterwards. Now, right off the bat, the formula is pretty simple. Ryan Reynolds plays an up-and-coming and and bright-eyed young man working as an assistant at a book publishing company. His name is Andrew. Andrew is a lackey for the executive editor-in-chief known as Margaret, played by Sandra Bullock. Margaret is a no-nonsense boss. She likes to undermine her employees every step of the way. She relishes in embarrassing them publicly, like when she does when she fires Bob in the opening scene. She also likes to threaten their careers to get what she wants. Margaret has Andrew under her thumb because she knows how ambitious he is and how far he is willing to go for his job. Hell, Andrew even orders a pair of cinnamon soy lattes just on the off chance that he screws up her order because he's that terrified of her. (laughs) Margaret is the quintessential bitch boss, which From what we've learned in Parks and Recreation, is completely different from a boss bitch. (laughs) Boss bitch is an endearing compliment of a strong, confident woman making things happen for herself. However, a bitch boss is a higher-up that has a stick up her ass and treats her employees like shit. Margaret, in this movie, is a bitch boss. Margaret is the kind of woman to deny Andrew the opportunity to see his grandmother on her 90th birthday just because she's that evil. However, when the book publishing company's executives discover that Margaret has been denied her American travel visa, she's forced to either become a United States citizen or get deported back to Canada, thus relinquishing her role at the company. Margaret then pulls Andrew into the meeting to mention that the two of them are getting married and will be flying out to Alaska for the weekend of their engagement party. Here's where the real film starts. Up until this point, it's pretty pedestrian and bare-bones. Nothing really funny happens, it's all just simple world building and uh, character work. The awkwardness of the two of them pretending to like each other in front of the book company's board is mildly funny and it finally gives Ryan Reynolds something to do in the opening act, but it's still not very funny at all. (laughs) To him, Margaret is the one person holding him back from achieving his dreams. She's forcibly threatening him to marry her or else Bob the person that she tried to fire a minute ago, will take over the company and retaliate against Andrew. In one of the better scenes in the movie, Andrew mans up and finds the balls to leverage this situation to his own advantage. He agrees to go on with the charade, only if Margaret promotes him to full-time editor and publishes his works. He has her get on her knees to propose to him, and off we go to Alaska. Now when we finally reach Alaska, that's where we meet the Paxton family. We have Joe, played by Craig T. Nelson, who's the stereotypical disapproving father figure that wanted their child to follow in the family business. Grace, played by Mary Steenbergen, who is wide-eyed and naive to the fake marriage that Andrew and Margaret are going through. She believes the couple really is in love. And of course, there's Grandma Annie, played by Betty White. Grandma Annie really is the comedic heart of the story. She's bubbly but crass. Spirited but stern, she safeguards the family and Andrew with reluctancy and genuine affection. I mentioned that Betty White is a legend, and in this movie, she really shows it. Even in her early 90s, late 80s, she still knows how to hit her punchlines and big character moments. From calling Margaret Satan's mistress on the boat dock to performing a tribal dance ritual in the woods, Betty White really does shine through in this movie above everyone else. And therein lies my first complaint about this movie. Betty White is so freaking funny that it makes Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock look like they're sleepwalking through the picture. Ryan Reynolds does not get nearly the laughs that Betty White does, and here I thought both of them were going to be equally comedic relief. Instead, just Betty White is. An example of that comes with the couple's introduction to the family and friends of the Paxtons. Andrew and Margaret are forced to kiss each other in front of the party, and to me, I don't know why i found it so funny when i was younger here it seems kind of strange that a family who at this point doesn't know that it's a green card marriage wants to see them make out in front of them (laughs) but once again betty white's earnest charm saves the scene from ryan and sandra struggling to get a chuckle i don't hate sandra bullock or ryan reynolds hell at this time in 2009 these were two of the sexiest most charismatic people on the planet But it takes a very, very long time for them in this movie to build any bit of chemistry together. I don't know if that's a weakness of the script to get to the point with their relationship, or if they couldn't quite nail the punchlines between them. But it almost feels like they begin to turn their hatred around in the third act, as opposed to the second act in the rising action, as it were. But that's not to say that there are some opportunities for them to be rivals towards one another in the lead up to them falling in love. The scene where they're ad-libbing about how they met and how they got engaged is the best bit of banter the two of them have early on in the film, and I would have liked to have seen more of this kind of scene play out throughout the entire runtime. It shows their quick wit and dry humor, but sadly there's not enough of it. The biggest and best comedy bits are mostly done when the two actors are separated. There's a scene in the middle of this movie where Grandma Annie and Grace take Margaret to a stripper (laughs) (laughs) played by Oscar Nunez. Yes, Oscar from The Office. He goes from neighborly butler and store clerk to a flamboyant male stripper that grinds on top of Betty White and Sandra Bullock. (laughs) And I'll tell you, I'm probably never going to watch The Office the same way again ever again after this, simply because Oscar's character here is kind of the opposite of what Oscar is in The Office. He's not all uptight. He's really flamboyant and out there in here. Andrew, in my opinion, kind of gets the short end of the stick when it comes to the comedy of this movie. Which is a shame because Ryan Reynolds is hilarious. But this movie doesn't quite fit him in well enough or give him the legs to stretch his comedic chops. His scenes are mostly comprised of him arguing with his father about returning to Alaska. And then there's Malin Ackerman thrown into the mix. Malin Ackerman was an ex fiance of his that still hangs around the family, so you got this dynamic that's stereotypical where the father wants them to run the family business and get married to the family friend. Now I think that the writers wanted to make Malin Ackerman's character an antagonist in the story, kind of like an adversary or a threat to Margaret's feelings for Andrew, but she doesn't quite get the luxury of having that much to do in this movie. She comes and goes on screen whenever she needs to, whenever they need Margaret to have a sentimental reflection about Andrew. And that's a big detriment, because Malin Ackerman's a good actress. I like her a lot. The biggest laugh in this movie, featuring both Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds, comes from a bit halfway through the second act of the movie, where Margaret, without shower towels, has to dash across a room to dry herself. Meanwhile, Andrew is in the same bedroom, nude, air-drying from the work he did outside the house. As Margaret dashes across the room to grab a towel, Andrew rushes in and the two beautiful people, naked together, smash up against each other like a wall of meat. <laughs> now they each begin to freak out in disgust until eventually they get separated and they get clothed. Just imagine you're spending the weekend with your boss, with your family, and you happen to run nakedly into your boss. I'd be kind of freaking out too. <laughs> I really do like this moment. It's really bizarre and dumb, and that it actually brings the two characters together, both metaphorically and physically. And this is the moment where it kind of brings together the turning point in their relationship. A couple minutes later in the same scene, they begin to trust each other with their personal thoughts, feelings, and insecurities. You get a little bit of backstory on Margaret, while also a little bit of backstory on Andrew. The romantic chemistry between Sandra and Ryan isn't bad, it's just unfortunate that the movie took nearly the entire two hours to get to the point where we see them embracing each other. Up until the scene where Margaret gets a heart-to-heart talk from Grandma Annie, the movie is rather lackadaisical. The film climaxes when Margaret cuts herself off from feelings for Andrew by standing him up at the wedding in front of the immigration officer. She decides to go to jail instead of bringing Andrew down with her in the charade. Here is where Grandma Annie has the most iconic scene in the movie. She has a heart attack and then has to be lifted to the nearest hospital. In the helicopter, Annie addresses the family's constant fighting and bickering, pleading to them to stop and then she begins to fade away. But no, fuck it. The most sentimental moment in the entire movie gets undercut with a cheap freaking laugh. Annie wakes up almost immediately after she gives her heart to heart and pretends to die, and reveals that she faked the heart attack the entire time, and tells Andrew that he has to go save Margaret. I really don't like the joke here. Especially given what we know now about how Betty White just died a couple days before her 100th birthday. I think it's just so cringy. This is the best moment of the entire film. The moment that Betty White brings the entire family and film thesis together. But they butcher it with a cheap laugh gimmick. I know a lot of people will kind of disagree with me on this one. But the helicopter scene is the worst scene in the movie for me. For this reason alone, in a movie that could have used a lot more humor and jokes, this was the absolute wrong time to draw this one up. The cliché go-after-the-girl trope plays out as Andrew races back to New York to let Margaret know how he really feels about her. The two don't decide to get married immediately, but they decide to go on a date and then get engaged. The film ends extremely bizarrely as the immigration officer begins to interrogate them and and the questions are shown during the credits. When the mid credit scene roll, we are left wondering, did they actually get married? Did Margaret get deported? Is Andrew getting the promotion he deserved? What the hell did the co-workers think of them hooking up for real? Now, I really wanted to like this movie upon my rewatch. I thought it was a good time when I was younger, but I think I now realize why it's sitting so low with critical scores. The proposal suffers from a lack of laughs, a sadly predictable rom-com formula, and a highly questionable ending. In my youth, I would have given the proposal a 3.5 out of 5, but today it drops a full point and leaves me with a 2.5 out of 5. Betty White and Ryan Reynolds make the movie worth watching, but sadly they cannot save the film from its flaws. Let's now look at the critical and audience reception to the proposal before we move on to Just Married. On Rotten Tomatoes, the proposal comes in with a low 45% Rotten rating, with critic consensus saying, Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds exhibit plenty of chemistry, but they are let down by the proposal's devotion to formula. I really do agree with that, but to my surprise, I'm shocked to discover that audiences also agree with that, and they aren't grading this movie that much higher. Usually, audience scores are almost twice what critics score whenever it's a rotten movie, but here it's marginally better. I would have been sure that this movie had an 80%, maybe a 90% audience approval score, but sadly, the proposal is sitting with audiences at 68% barely fresh. A super reviewer on the website, Brendan N., writes, Not a classic, but it has its fair share of laughs. Reynolds keeps things funny, and Bullock always seems to be likable even in bad films. These films are such a cliché, but that's the way the audience wants them. Brendan gave the movie a 3 out of 5. Now, it wouldn't be a post-credits podcast without some filmmaking factoids, would it? Here are some interesting facts about the proposal. The first factoid... Betty White almost turned down her role in the film because filming would require her to spend 10 weeks away from her golden retriever. Just imagine how much different this movie would have been without Betty White. I can't even imagine. I don't even know which actress they would have went to for this role in particular. Betty White had to be this role, and she nails it. (laughs) This next factoid is really fun. Julia Roberts was actually the first choice to play Margaret but reportedly she didn't want to take a pay cut, so Sandra Bullock took over the role. This was actually the second movie in the same year in which Roberts was offered the leading role, but turned it down, going to Sandra Bullock. The other movie was The Blind Side, which ended up winning Sandra Bullock the Best Actress Oscar. Man, Julia Roberts could not catch a break in 2009. (laughs) And now our final factoid. Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds initially felt awkward shooting their nude scene. However, they have both said they quickly became comfortable with it, despite sometimes having their protection falling off. Bullock told Entertainment Tonight she has no problem with the nudity. The film needs my nudity to be funny. <laughs> I guess, Sandra. I mean, that scene did showcase your bud, and she wasn't in very good shape back then, so I, I guess she's right. <laughs> and with that... Let's take a trip from the Alaskan heirs of the proposal and venture to the European countryside with Just Married. <music> in Just Married, a young newlywed couple honeymoon in Europe where obstacles challenge their ability to sustain the marriage. Just Married is directed by Sean Levy, who's known for a free guy, Stranger Things, and we'll be directing the upcoming Deadpool and the Wolverine movie. Written by Sam Harper, who is known for Rio, Cheaper by the Dozen 2, and Rookie of the Year. And the film stars Ashton Kutcher as Tom Lysak, Brittany Murphy as Sarah McNerney, Christian Kane as Peter Prentice, and David Rash as Mr. McNerney. Just Married is one of those films that I always found playing on cable whether it be comedy central tbs tnt etc each and every time it came on we had to throw it on much like dude where's my car the hangover and (laughs) rob schneider's the animal or the hot chick you know oh god i might have to do a separate video just on those movies Ashton Kutcher had a hot run of comedies at this time, stemming from the popularity of That 70s Show, Cheaper by the Dozen, My Boss's Daughter, Guess Who, and The Butterfly Effect, which isn't a comedy, but it's worth noting. The guy was everywhere during this time. But there was a very big reason why I was eager to review this film. A massive elephant in the room. I wanted to rewatch this movie because of Brittany Murphy. It is hard to comprehend, but Brittany Murphy passed away over 14 years ago due to complications with pneumonia and anemia. I fell in love with Brittany Murphy the first time I watched Clueless. She had such a dorky and wonderful presence about her. I truly believed that in her prime, she would have made for an amazing Harley Quinn to Heath Ledger's Joker, especially after The Dark Knight. Sadly, both actors died way too soon. Britney starred in films like 8 Mile, Girl Interrupted, and Sin City, which showcased how diverse her acting range was. She isn't just a dumb bimbo like in Clueless. She's actually a well-diverse and well-trained actress. But while researching this movie, it came to my shock that the Golden Raspberry Awards nominated Britney Murphy as their worst actress of the year for her role in this movie, in Just Married. And seeing how critically panned this movie was also got me excited to watch it even more we'll discuss those reviews in a bit but i think it's time we discuss how i interpreted just married in 2024 the premise is simple a young couple falls in love and gets married after only living together for a couple months in their premature matrimony they vacation in europe in the honeymoon from hell This movie pulls that whole Joe Dirt-style flashback storytelling where we open the movie with the couple arriving back in Los Angeles. They are angrily storming through the terminal while bumping into one another and pranking each other on the way out. They're clearly upset at one another. The start of the film is from their perspective when they have undergone that horrific vacation and they're returning to the United States. Tom, played by Ashton Kutcher, is a graveyard shift traffic radio station personality. He's a big sports guy and even wears a Chicago Bears Brian Urlacher jersey the day he met Sarah. Whereas Sarah is the daughter of a part-owner of the Los Angeles Lakers and Dodgers, she comes from an extremely snobby family, but separates herself from her siblings with her bubbly, down-to-earth attitude. Tom goes on the radio to reminisce about where his marriage failed, and we flash back to the beginning of the relationship. Within the first five minutes, I already was having a better time watching Just Married than I did with The Proposal. Perhaps it's the slapstick humor or the -the over-the-top Ashton Kutcher stick, but I think the characters in this movie are far more entertaining both individually and communally than Andrew and Margaret from The Proposal. The two meet each other on the beach when Tom throws an errant football at her. The story expedites their courtship, and we see Kutcher and Murphy make out passionately many, many times over. I do think that there is good sexual chemistry between these two actors, despite them being nominated together for Worst On-Screen Couple at the Razzies that year. But ultimately, it all comes to a head when Tom kills Sarah's dog. He takes a tennis ball, throws it over his shoulder, and the dog goes fetching for it out the window and into oncoming traffic. If there are major issues with the plot of this film, they stem from the fact that each character annoyingly hides some obvious, glaring lies from one another prior to them getting married. Tom doesn't disclose that he accidentally murdered the dog Bags, and Sarah doesn't disclose her relationship with her family friend Peter. The relationship between Peter, the McNerneys, and Tom is not exactly supportive. Sarah's dad very blatantly looks down on Tom because of his financial standing and where he works. A quote that really stood out to me coming from Mr. McNerney was he said something along the lines of marriage is like a business investment. It's long term viability is best established unemotionally. (laughs) What a crock of shit, dude. The film really begins to take shape right after their wedding. Things between Tom and Sarah really start off on the wrong foot. The hijinks kicks off when the two fail to consummate their marriage on their wedding night. Because Sarah randomly gets a bloody nose. (laughs) And their honeymoon doesn't fare any better either. Even on the airplane, they find themselves getting into trouble. One of my favorite moments in the movie comes during the flight when Sarah and Tom attempt to join the Mile High Club. They open up a restroom door prematurely, and a kid screams, close it, bitch! (laughs) You know, in in many ways, I kind of see this movie as a romantic version of National Lampoon's European vacation. It's a string of miscommunications and hilarious hijinks that seemingly get worse and worse as the film goes along. From getting kicked out of their French hotel on the first night of the honeymoon, to crashing their smart car off the side of the Alps and having to spend the night in a snowball, <laughs> these guys really go through some shit together in their time in Europe. But if I had one major complaint for the film, it has to be Tom Lee Sack. Perhaps, maybe it's Ashton Kutcher's manic energy, but Tom makes some really heinous decisions in this movie. They only get kicked out of their hotel because he was attempting to plug in a dildo from an American power cable into a French outlet. Despite the fact that Sarah's telling him not to, he still goes on and does it anyway. And he does this multiple times in the film. He lacks the common sense and awareness to listen to Sarah throughout the entire runtime. It can be funny at times, but it could also come off as annoying. But Sarah isn't so innocent either. She enables his behavior most of the time. It could be endearing, But it also comes off as the film's writer finding creative ways to brush off Tom's idiocy with Sarah's affection. One of the other issues I have with this movie comes at the climax of the second act, where Tom and Sarah split off in Italy. Tom, like a fucking idiot, decides to spend his night in a sports bar watching the LA Dodgers instead of visiting museums with Sarah in the most romantic place on the planet. Here, Sarah reconnects with Peter, who is conveniently following them throughout their entire honeymoon travels. And that night, the two of them argue in the hotel, finally revealing their secrets to one another. Tom confesses to killing her dog, while Sarah confesses to having an affair with Peter while she was first dating Tom. It is at this point where the conflict really comes to a head. For most people, this scene almost derails the entire story and relationship between the two, almost to a point of being irreconcilable. Tom picks up the world's most annoying bar slut, while Sarah goes to a chateau with Peter. In my opinion, both these decisions are insane. They're both actively engaging in cheating on one another just three days after they got married. <laughs> Tom goes the whole yard and actually brings the bar sled back to the hotel room. And Sarah straight up kisses Peter in front of Tom. Now, even though both parties were the victims of these sexual advancements, they still let it happen. And it's kind of weird that this is all happening to them during their honeymoon, just in the same week of their wedding. Their failed infidelity ends their honeymoon once and for all, and we finally get back to where the film started, with Tom and Sarah separated back in Los Angeles. This film also follows the same exact get-the-girl trope that the proposal fell into, the same cliche, with Tom getting a heart-to-heart from his father to fight for his marriage. Tom's dad actually gives some sage advice. Now, this is one of the better parts of the movie. Tom's dad tells him that marriage is a lot of work. As he pulls out the photo album of Tom and Sarah, he drops a good dime of advice and says, You never see the hard times in a photo album, but they're what gets you from one picture to the next. Tom finally realizes that he needs to attack their issues head on and reconciles with Sarah. I do really like the gate scene in this movie. See... Tom rolls up to the McNerney house and needs to get through the front gate in order to get to Sarah, but there is a butler that's locking the gate that's not going to let him in through the intercom. So Tom, with an impassioned speech, tells them that he's going to blast right through the gate with his car. It's corny for sure, but I love that his car didn't just blast through the gate all easily. It makes for a hilarious visual to see his muscle car smash head on with the gate and get wrecked in the process. (laughs) It, it, It subverts all your expectations of how that scene will play out. So then, Tom goes on the intercom once again, and this time, Sarah hears Tom's heartfelt plea. The two forgive each other, and they walk off into the sunset. Now for me, this movie has a lot of high points and hilarious moments for sure, like the yellow smart car. The scene in the rundown Italy hotel room where their neighbors are having violent sex just the next door over. And of course, there's that moment where Sarah throws the ashtray at Tom's face. But it's evident why critics and audiences didn't fall in love with this movie also. Now, some of the humor is crass and immature, and the story kind of falls apart near the end. But I still found myself enjoying this movie a lot. It holds up exactly as I hoped it would. And I don't regret having to purchase it to record this podcast. It's not available streaming anywhere. You have to buy it on iTunes or Vudu or wherever movies are sold. I give Just Married a solid 3 out of 5. I will forever hold this film in high regard because of the joy I felt when I saw Brittany Murphy light up the scene. She is so beautiful and charming in this movie and may that light, that inspiration she brought on screen, may it never go out. Rest in peace, Brittany Murphy. This episode series wouldn't be titled Guilty Pleasures without acknowledging that these films are critically bad. Just Married is one of the most critically panned films that I've watched on this entire show since I started this podcast. On Rotten Tomatoes, Just Married checks in at 20% rotten. Critical consensus says Just Married's plot is predictable and the overdone pratfalls get tiresome. Oh boy, that kind of sucks. (laughs) 20%. But much like the proposal, (laughs) I was surprised to see how poorly this movie was received by audiences also. For only the third time since I started this podcast, the audience gives the film a rotten rating as well, with only 40% approval. One super reviewer on the website says that Just Married is a decent comedy with a few good laughs, but it could have been done far better as well. The film had potential in doing something far better, and it does fall short. In the long run, this is a film that is worth seeing only once as the jokes become stale over multiple viewings. The idea behind the film was good, but the gags just didn't hold up. And there we have it. Now, as we wrap up this week's Valentine special, here are some filmmaking factoids about Just Married before we call it a night. The first factoid, Ashton Kutcher and Brittany Murphy were actually a real-life couple when they were making this film. Now, I haven't looked into any of Ashton Kutcher's quotes about Brittany Murphy after she died, but I'm pretty sure looking back at this film, it's pretty devastating for him. Now, while filming the scene with the cockroach in the Italy hotel room, the caretaker of the cockroach actually lost it. So they had to shut down production for 20 minutes in order to find the cockroach. <laughs> oh, that's pretty terrifying, actually. Pretty, pretty scary stuff. Now for our final factoid. I mentioned that this movie shares similarities to National Lampoon's European Vacation, but it actually shares a similar scene as Vegas Vacation. The scene when Tom and Sarah enter the bathroom on the plane is almost shot for shot identical to when Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo tried to join the Mile High Club in Vegas Vacation. (laughs) So that is it for today's special Valentine's Day episode. Much love to you and your loved one this holiday. As for you singles out there, I've posted a video over on my YouTube channel titled Top 5 Valentine's Day Films for Singles. So head on over to the channel and check it out. And if you haven't already, follow the show on Instagram and X. Just search for PC with Gil. Next week's episode, we head to the Amazon to research spiders right before my mother dies. (laughs) That's right, folks. I can't wait to bring you my review of Madam Web. I will catch you all next week. So stay safe. And as always, go catch a movie. Oh yeah.